monogamy is so much easier when you know you're going to be dead at 29 from typhoid fever. Like <laughs> I would, every, of course, Child why not? fever or any of the things people died of. Back then. <laughs> Consumption. Um, Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. It's a big day, Andy. It sure is. We have finally the hot topic episode that I've been wanting to do since the beginning of this podcast. And probably before we had a podcast. Certainly, yes. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but even in the trailer for this podcast, we said, one day we hoped to have a hot topic on jealousy. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of thinking over who I wanted to bring on to talk about jealousy with. I decided to pull from my own experience uh, and I thought of a book that I read when I was in my mid-20s and it made a huge impact on me. And I kind of can't believe that she said yes and I'm so excited she's here with us today. She's the co-author of The Ethical Slut, which was published in 1997. And this book is famous for having dispelled myths and covered all the skills necessary to maintain a successful and responsible polyamorous lifestyle. And I think it was way ahead of its time. It played a pivotal role in redefining how healthy and functional open alternative polyamorous and monogamous relationships can be. And yeah, I just couldn't be more excited to thank you and welcome Janet W. Hardy for joining us today. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Janet, there was, I mean, there's so many things I would love to talk to you about today. But since we're starting with jealousy, we have to limit ourselves. Okay. <laughs> and when I did poll our uh, listeners for questions, I asked them to ask questions both on jealousy and uh, non-monogamy. And I would say 90 to 95% of them were indeed about jealousy. So that's, we're going to listen to our listeners, but hopefully one day we can delve a little deeper. Move to, to 102 from 101. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wait, 102. Oh, 201. 2. It's been a while since I've been in college. I don't remember how it was. Upper, upper division jealousy. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. What she said. So, okay, we're just going to start really basic here because the questions ranged from really, really broad to really, really specific. And so I figure I would just get it from you, someone who has been in monogamous, non-monogamous, all the, all the kinds of relationships that one can be in, I feel like. And you can disagree most if I'm of wrong. Them. Mo- most of them. Most of them. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that we human beings feel jealous? It's always kind of interesting to me to get asked about jealousy I'm best known as an author about polyamory, but I I did live in monogamy land for my entire young adulthood, and I am pretty sure that monogamous people get jealous too. I I distinctly remember this part, but since I am best known uh, for writing about polyamory, I think that there's a lot of belief that poly people struggle more with jealousy than anybody else. I'm not sure that's true. I think the difference is that when you take on the commitment to be poly or consensually non-monogamous or any alternative to monogamy, one of the commitments you make is to try to solve that problem yourself instead of trying to solve it by requiring someone else change. Um, So because you're making a commitment to welcome multiple people into your lives and your lovers' lives, um, you're knowing going in that jealousy is likely to come up and you're making plans for what you're going to do when it does. Um, And a lot of that has to do with your internal process. It isn't going to be. um, So instead of saying, I felt jealous when you went to the movies with them the other day. And so I don't want you to go to the movies anymore with them. You're going to start by saying, I felt jealous when I went, when you went to the movies with them the other day. Uh, what was that really? Was it that I wanted to see the movie myself? Was it that I resented losing your company for a couple of hours? Was it that I'm worried that they might be impinging on the things that I value about this relationship? Jealousy is not monolithic. It's not just one thing. We, we give it a name as though it were one thing, but it's a whole bunch of different things and you can't begin to solve it until you start to tease apart exactly what it is for you this time. 
because it's going to be different for different people and it's going to be different for different situations. And yeah, until I, you unbraid that, you're not going to have much chance of, of dealing with it. Yeah, I feel like almost with poly, polyamorous relationships, you're actually taking on conquering jealousy rather than creating jealousy. Totally. I would think that because you know you're embarking on it, you're sort of just prepared right. for it exactly. existing instead of having this expectation that it will be monogamous completely right. 100% of the time and therefore you will never have to fight that beast. Right. It's like it's like I'm going on an expedition to climb Mount Everest or I'm going on a little hike through the country. Oh by the way, there's also this mountain we have to climb. That's ah, yeah. that would be that would be the the monogamous version. <laughs> I don't think I would choose to use conquering because I think that implies that when you get good enough at being poly you're not going to feel jealous anymore. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. Um when you get good at being poly, you will have developed a skill set for dealing with jealousy as it arises. And usually people find that it gets easier with practice, like any kind of skill. Um, but to expect that you're never going to have to deal with it again once you reach this, reach this state, state of um, poly nirvana, where... Nothing bothers you and you feel compersion toward everybody and, and you're just happy all the time. Um, I would love to think that there were such people, but I've been at this for a long time. Dossie's been at it for a longer time and we've never gotten there. A, um, an analogy would be something like grief. Uh, when you decide to have a life and to love people, it is with the knowledge that at some point you will be grieving them. They'll lead your life uh, to divorce, to death, to life changes, and you're going to be sad. And you just know that going in, that that's part of the price you pay for loving someone is feeling sad some of the time. And it's kind of the same with jealousy. If you love someone, you value their place in your life, sometimes you're going to feel nervous about losing that. And you're going to feel that you're, you're going to call that jealousy. Uh, so, you just sort of walk into it knowing that this is part of what you sign on for when you agree to love people, that sometimes it's going to suck. And what are you going to do when it does suck? The only option is not love anybody. And that to me is not, not such a good solution. That's so well put, but I feel that most people are not equipped to deal with jealousy. Most people in monogamous relationships are, have, have well, none of the tools yeah. needed. Well, would you not say that is also society talking because Absolutely. they're, yeah, yeah, they expect that once they find their monogamous, happily ever after partner, that, that jealousy yeah. should be. It, it's ingrained in for sure from a young age, but it's 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 very. I think that most of my monogamous relationship, most of my friends in monogamous relationships, could not conceive of their partners, you know, being with somebody else and yeah. them being okay with it. Yeah. Oh no, but I mean, you're making it sound like be with someone else, like even in a sexual manner, just like they could just spend time with someone else, and people will even have a problem. Oh, with absolutely, that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, I'm saying like even at a low level, yeah, not I, I necessarily think it's sleeping with someone. Out of control, honestly. What yes. some people get jealous over to me is is ridiculous. Of, yeah. it, well, yes, and it maybe is ridiculous. That's, it's just a, a difference in relationship. Um, I think, well, is there no is there no level where it's ridiculous? Not if people agree to it. Um, you know, the, the trick is to either find someone whose sense of where the boundaries are is similar to yours or else begin negotiating. It's not mm. like being monogamous means you don't have to negotiate things like this. I think that's one of the problems I see with monogamy as most people practice it is they assume that they say, huh, we're monogamous now. And they think they know what that means. And then you run into problems where for one of them doing cyber sex on the computer is cheating. And for the other, it isn't. And all of a sudden, they have a problem because they didn't talk it out first because they didn't know they had to. So I think if there's one thing that poly people can bring to the world, it's that skill set of talking things out, even if you're monogamous, even if you're celibate. Um, you know, my spouse and I have not been sexual together for a very long time. Does that mean that we are jealousy proof? No, of course it doesn't. We both have time. We both have other people we love. And... It's been a long time since we felt jealous about anybody, but it would be absurd to assume that that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. I guess I just find that some cases of jealousy, I feel, should be in any in any situation sort of banned from relationships, such as you're not allowed to spend any time with any person mm. of the opposite sex when I'm not around. And the, 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 Mike, the Mike Pence solution. The Mike <laughs> no. Pence, exactly. Mother, mother must be in the room or it is not cool. 
<laughs> um, it, it certainly wouldn't work for me. There's a whole lot of definitions of monogamy out there that wouldn't work for me. But I like to tell a story about one of the first classes I ever taught on polyamory, Dossie and I taught. And as I often do, I start the class by asking how many people in the room uh, identify as monogamous. Given that this was in San Francisco in a kink space, there were very few hands that were, very few hands went up, but one did. Easy and crowd. The, the, the hand belonged to a woman in whom I had had my personal fist the night before. And of course, I, I was not my You mean that figuratively, of course, right? Um, but afterwards, I took her aside and said, so, you know, monogamy. And it turned out that to her and her partner, what monogamy meant is that they only had penis-vagina intercourse with one another, mm. but everything else was on the table. So, you know, that's one way of framing it. Another is all your orgasms belong to me. You don't masturbate. You don't mm. look at porn. Wow. Um, and any of those can work as long as they are mutually acceptable. Right. It may be that I don't want you to masturbate where I can see you is the level that makes you comfortable, or it may be, you know, people in the poly community are often very scornful of don't ask, don't tell, but it can work and it does work for many people. Um, I think you're giving a lot of benefit of the doubt to most, the average monogamous person in America to have that adult conversation before really engaging in a serious sure. relationship. Where do we learn to do that? Most of us learn our relationship skills from watching TV and reading books and watching mm -hmm. our parents and things like, where are we going to learn how to granularize our agreements and talk about them in that level of detail? There's no, no, no rule book for doing mm -hmm. that. So we, anybody who does it is kind of making it up as they go along, unless they've read our book or one of the other good <laughs> I was books. About, about to say, true. unless. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people, let's face it, are never going to pick up a book called The Ethical Slut because they think they're monogamous. And that's the end of the discussion. And then first you have to get a, someone in America to pick up a book. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're really, well, there, really got a lot working well. against you. There's that's a topic that for well. another day. <laughs> the, the, the biggest rush of inquiries we had for interviews and articles and so on about Polly was in the wake of it hitting the news that Newt Gingrich had asked his wife for a, an open oh. relationship. We got swamped. Um, and that's where people learn right now is off of Newt freaking Gingrich. So <laughs> the, the, the rest of us have to kind of step in Don't and that. offer some options. Andy's horrified right horrified. now. <laughs> Was that while his wife was on her deathbed or, oh, geez. He was seriously ill. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was. It, good guy, good guy. It is the worst possible situation for opening a relationship agreements conversation that any of us can possibly think of, but mm. it happened. So mm. that's where and people talk about, And talk about giving the people who do engage in that lifestyle a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Frustrating. Uh, we kind of have a bad one already, and that, that sort of thing does not make it better. Um. Um, okay, so if we're going to get back to, if we're talking to most people who are in monogamous relationships in this country, you would say that a lot of it can be curtailed by having the conversation. But how much of it do you think ties into an individual's own insecurities and their willingness to maybe address them? When you're feeling jealous, it is because you're afraid of lo losing something. Um, that's what the word means. But what you might be afraid of losing can vary wildly. Um, when I feel jealous, it tends to be competitive. I feel like I'm losing my status as whatever it is that I'm feeling competitive about. But for another person, it might be that they're feeling insecure that they might lose a relationship that's important to them. Uh, for another, it might be that they're feeling territorial, that what's being taken from them is something they feel like they own or have control over. Yeah. I noticed in a long-term poly relationship I was in for quite a few years that I tended to get jealous when he was dating someone who was younger than me or thinner than me. Guess what I'm not secure about, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's one of the things you can learn from being poly is look at what tends to make you feel jealous and that's what you're frightened about. And the thing is, you know, I'm not going to get younger. 
and it's wildly unlikely that I'm going to get appreciably thinner. So I better learn to deal because those things aren't going to change. And I'm not willing to say, no, you don't get to date anything but old fat women because uh, that's not a person I want to be. So I, I, I better figure out how to feel OK with that. That's so interesting because it really can be such a, a self-improving a journey to just say, why am I jealous? Absolutely. Instead of just being rageful and immediately going to that that bad place, just be like, why am I jealous? And, oh, and- I'm jealous because I'm worried about this. I'm worried I'm not smart enough. I'm worried I'm not as good looking. And it would be so helpful if everyone went there first, but that's just not the way it is. Uh, an exercise I sometimes give in workshops about poly is to ask people to write a thank you letter to their jealousy to say, I, I recognize that you were trying to protect me and here's what you're trying to protect me of. And I got this. You don't have to protect me on that anymore. I got it. Oh, wow. And That's neat. it can be very revealing. I, it's a very uncomfortable journey, I think, to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds, it, me, it reminds me a bit of the Enneagram type about how it all comes down to your motivation and how at the heart of it, none of us are really thrilled about what our motivations are. <laughs> and there was a, something you wrote or co-wrote, one way to not feel a feeling is to project it onto your partner. Oh, hell yes. I feel jealous and it's because of you. Um, It's your fault. Yes, it's your fault that I feel jealous. And what that does, of course, is it removes the locus of control from you. Uh, If it's your fault, there's nothing I can do about it. You have to fix it. Uh, And so it's, it's profoundly disempowering to blame others. I mean, obviously, if they have done something egregious, if they've said they were going to do one thing and then gone off and done done something else, or if they have been intentionally keeping information from you, that is blameworthy. Um, And something needs to be done about that. But most of the time when you feel anxious or jealous or angry or sad about something that your partner did elsewhere, that's a thing to look into yourself about where am I feeling threatened? Where am I feeling like something is being taken from me? And what can I do to feel better about that? And it may be that you need to ask for some help. Um, I need some reassurance. I need us to book some time together because I feel like I'm not getting enough of your time. You know, those things can be fixed. Um, But just this big tangle of thunderstorm jealousy can't really be fixed. Mm-hmm. It's not super productive no. most of the time, especially when it comes on in a very attack e way. That can be dangerous. Yeah. Uh, yes. So you touched a bit on this where sometimes there is a reason or just something that betrays a partner's trust. Yes. And there were a lot of questions along this line. Where is the line between feeling jealousy and that being your intuition? Boy, if I knew the I answer to that, I would, I would be much richer than I am. Um, <laughs> I think at that point, you just need to lay it on the table saying, you know, I'm worried that this person is trying to steal you from me. I'm worried that um, you're drifting away from me. And maybe that is the case. You know, it would be ridiculous to say it never happens. Of course it happens. If that were true of every single time someone was feeling jealous, we wouldn't be having this conversation because Mm -hmm. jealousy would equal betrayal and we wouldn't be talking about conquering it. We'd be talking about paying better attention to it. But it isn't usually. No, the scales are well tipped to the side of being jealous without consequence. Yeah. Oh, by far, I would say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know. I I did a radio debate one time with a guy who had written a book um, asserting that jealousy was not only inevitable, but was a means of evolution for the human race. And so when, when we got to talking and I talked to him about his source material, the people he had talked to were people like, um, women in group marriages for whom the, partner had strayed outside the the group marriage with another individual. Um, He had not made any attempt at all to distinguish between jealousy and betrayal. He had not gone out and tried to find anybody who felt jealous but had not been betrayed. Um, It was just the most ridiculous thesis. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm happy to say that I have not heard anything about that book since. So I think it probably <laughs> deservedly sank to the bottom of the book pile. So you don't have um, to be jealous about that book. I don't. To be real, the things that tend to trigger my jealousy outside the relationship realm are other authors who are more successful or more productive than I am. So there's where my insecurities lie. But I think that has a lot more to do with envy than it does with jealousy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I truly believe there's a difference, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Between envy that covetous can, nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can fix envy by getting the thing that you want. Jealousy mm-hmm. is about not wanting the other person to have the thing that you want. I don't mind if they're successful. I just want to be successful, too, is all. Um, so it, it, it definitely feels like envy to me. Oh, it takes so much honesty to be able to admit to all of these things. So much honesty to write a book like this as well. I mean, yeah. We're, we're, we're very not, much we're... lacking in society today. Yes. If I weren't into doing that, I would still be writing ad copy for a living. So there you are. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> How satisfying was it to write this book? in 90, I mean, it was published in 97. The, the first edition, yeah. It's been through yeah. several more editions since then. Writing it was as fun as it always is writing with Dossie. Uh, we have a great time putting these books together, although we often struggle. Um, we had no idea that the book was going to do what it's done. We thought, you know, we'd already published the topping book and the bottoming book. And we thought we were writing another weird little niche book for another of our weird little niche audiences. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it went kaboom. Um, and we didn't know. We had no idea it was going to do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then there comes kind of to an expectations thing because you weren't really expecting the book to explode. It did explode. And I feel like that is, it does sort of tie back into the relationships. You don't expect to encounter jealousy when you embark on a monogamous relationship. And that's why it is as upsetting to people as mm-hmm. it is. It's the expectation yeah. management, of it, sure. management of it. Andy. Yes. What holiday is coming up? Oh, you think I don't know. <laughs> that's what you think. You it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's it's, Day is coming up. It is. And what do you think would be a great gift to give for Valentine's Obviously, Day? the Hello Toshi bidet. <laughs> Obviously. Obvious. You know what's funny about giving a bidet as a gift for Valentine's Day is you're pretty much saying to your partner that... You need some work down there. <laughs> it, yeah. Or you secretly want it for yourself and your own situation. Oh, bowl, the Homer bowling ball. Yeah. It's like one of those gifts that's like for the house. It's for both of us. Everyone wins. Everyone, Everyone wins. wins. If yes. you win, she wins, guests win, all around. If guests do come over, I'd like to reiterate the trademark Schmutz Shield. <laughs> you love the Schmutz Shield. Because I mean, no one likes when a guest comes over. No one no one gets excited when a guest comes over and is like, oh, I have to I have to take a number two. Like no one's like, oh, nice. I'm happy to service you. Everyone's a little kind of uh, about that. And the Schmutz Shield prevents any mishaps or, you know, misaimed accidents. Wait, how? It's to every it's all antimicrobial. It's self-cleaning. Okay? <laughs> <sighs> it's self-cleaning. Wow, you're very passionate. I am. About it. Okay. Um so obviously the Hello Tissue Bidet is a good option. For Valentine's gift. Yeah. So for the rump you love to hump this Valentine's Day, give the gift of Hello Tushy. Indeed. Go to hellotushy.com slash Shandy for 10% off plus free shipping. And this is a special offer for our listeners. So go to hellotushy.com slash Shandy for 10% off. That is hellotushy.com slash Shandy. Um, okay. Another frequent question we got was... <laughs> Is there such a thing as jealousy being a good thing? A little bit of it serving a relationship? It, is there a case for jealousy? <laughs> I, I have a pet peeve about the number of movies and TV shows and so on that end with someone having made their partner jealous and thinking, ah, I know, the, I know it, this is real now. He, <laughs> he must really love me because he felt jealous. Um, so true. It is so true. It, yeah, over and over and over again. And it's such a dysfunctional way to approach relationships. But je- feeling jealous can be at least um, a reminder of what you value. If you're scared of losing something, it's because you value that something. Otherwise, you wouldn't feel scared about it. Uh, so that, I think, would be the, the upside of jealousy is it's a little flag saying this is an important thing to me. I care about this. I love this. And that's why I'm scared of losing it. Sure, why not? 
Okay, this question. Oh, sorry. No, it's funny. She mentioned the movie tropes. And I, I read in the Rolling Stone article about how you were so infuriated by Indecent Proposal, where, you know, Demi Moore Just bewildered. Is off- Just- <laughs> I am so with you on that. I mean, I it's not like you're asking Demi Moore to have, like, sex with an orangutan for 50 bucks. <laughs> This is this is the most handsome man in the world for life changing money. To, honestly, on the record, I would have sex with Robert Redford for a million bucks right now. And you add the orangutan in, I'll do it for one point five. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And thank you for well, the bringing that to my that attention. Too was I, I was sick in bed with bronchitis. I was off my ass on codeine cough syrup. I was watching this movie, and it was just making no sense to me at all. It was like watching. Um, one of those anthropology documentaries that they run on National Geographic about tribes that are so alien to any, anything I know about life that I just had to sort of watch them going, whoa, well, that's a different way of being human, isn't it? <laughs> it felt like that. <laughs> it's so true. It was, I mean, the whole movie, I'm just like, Woody, Woody, let it happen, man. Buy yourself a yacht, get a new home, enjoy. Maybe you have like a, a, like 15 years in the wank bank to, to, to boot. Do it. Yeah. Andy was very satisfied when he read that article. Very satisfied. Thank we have you. had, we, I mean, we've watched that movie together and been, we were both completely bewildered. Horrified. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of people side with them. I know. That's the thing. We're, we're in the minority, of uh, course. I, or, I mean, the only excuse for that is if you're a billionaire. If you're a billionaire, fine. Yeah. Other than that, no excuse. <laughs> back back when the first edition was first out and we were doing a lot of um, promotional interviews, we were on one talk show somewhere in the Midwest on a radio talk show. And a woman called in to say first that we were the cause of the decline of Western civilization, which was like, wow, cool. <laughs> and also no that we guns. Should- we should be tied up and whipped, at which point the, the DJ went. <laughs> um, Keep it coming. He, he asked her, what would you do if your husband came home and asked for an open relationship? And she said, I'd go upside his head with a frying pan. So apparently domestic abuse is preferable to non-monogamy in the, in the mind of middle America. It, it was a very strange encounter with a reality that was not our reality. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um I don't know what direction to go in now because that was something that came up. There is a correlation between jealousy veering into a more controlling and potentially harmful territory. And um, yeah, that this is why I stress approaching jealousy first as a thing to work with internally, because mm. if you are blaming it on someone else, yeah, yeah it can turn toward, making demands on the other person that are unacceptable and enforcing those demands in ways that are definitely unacceptable. Yes. Okay. So this, I wanted to ask this, but then we went off on a tangent when we talked about the, Oh, sorry. I just want to tell you a little factoid Uh, up until 1973, which by the way, was my freshman year of college was not that long ago. It was legal in the state of Texas to kill your wife. If you found her in bed with another man. Wow. Holy shit. That's insane. And when did that law come off the books? I've been guessing in the last... 1973. 1973. Gabby just wrote, what the fuck? (laughs) That's 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 amazing. Because that was not that long ago. No. Yeah, no. As you said. That was before I had my first child. It's not long ago. It's insanity. And there are also still on the books many, I think many states, especially I think in the South, where it's illegal to give oral sex or any other non-vaginal penetration. Yeah, yeah, I think those are sort of artifacts at this point. I don't think anybody's, um, I think it was Obergebell versus Hodge, one of those decisions that basically made consensual uh, sexual relations um, legal. Hmm. Okay, that's good to yeah. hear. We're yeah. moving on. We're moving forward in America. It's good. <laughs> slowly, very slow. well, slowly. Well, did, did I ever think I would live to see uh, same-sex marriage? Hell no. I mean, I dated a lot of gay men back in the day, and they were all people who could have gone to jail for doing what they did. Did, and now they can get married, and that's in my lifetime. How awesome is that? That's amazing. So I, that is cool. Yeah, um, it's it's getting better. 
Okay, so there was a question I had that is kind of adjacent to the last one, which is, is there such, you know, do you think that it's possible that a little bit of jealousy can be a good thing? Do you think that there's such a thing as being not jealous enough? Do you think that, you know, when you said it can reflect caring about your partner and showing that you care, do you think that there being no jealousy whatsoever would therefore suggest a lack of caring? I, I don't. I think that some people are far more prone to jealousy than others. And some of the others just don't seem to get triggered by um, that particular issue. They don't understand why anybody would be. I haven't met many. I've met a few. And I don't think it's that they don't care. It's just that their caring doesn't look like feeling they have any right to something. So they don't feel the need to police that. I love that answer. It's rare. Mm-hmm. When you said that some people are more jealous than others, that was another question. Do you think it's just that, do you think that's learned? Like when we talked about, you know, seeing it on TVs and movies, do you think that that is just in something that you're raised with and you you become that way? Do you think your I, experiences the, make you that way? There, there is so much uncertainty still in the whole area of neurochemistry, nature versus nurture. I'm not qualified to speak to it. I do think some people have more tolerance for excitement and risk. Uh, And I think we see more of those in the poly community than outside it, just because poly people tend to get bored easily. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we are poly is because we like to stir things up. But beyond that, I think a lot of it is learned. And some of that very early learning is difficult to overcome. But I'll tell you, anybody who's raised two kids, or for that matter, two pets, knows that jealousy is a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them feels like the other one is getting the good thing. And at least with dogs, inevitably, the good thing is, by definition, the thing that the other dog has. Um, And they they get jealous. They just do. It's it's part of the way brains are built. It's just a matter of how, how you deal with it. Yeah, I think it's very animalistic and primordial jealousy. It's there for a reason, because if you want to mate and spread your genes, you don't want your genes to be questionable where they came from, right? Isn't that the whole issue with jealousy? Um, I think that's part of it. But Uh I also think if you put two bones down on the floor with those two dogs, they will give one to each of them. And within five minutes they will have gone and gotten the other dog's bone. It's just the way they work. Well, um, they're just jerks, you know. They're just <laughs> jerks. <laughs> uh, if I were smarter, I would be giving the big bone to the little dog and the little bone to the big dog on, on the assumption that they're going to switch off anyway. Good strategy. Okay. I Because I really want to get to the consensual Sorry, non-monogamy I'm part. Sorry, yeah, No, I'm not. I'm not. It's just that, like I said, there's so many questions. I just could talk to you for a very long time and you're very easy to talk to. So I just want to make sure we get to everything that I wanted. So I have one final question on jealousy. And this was another frequent question because our listeners are extremely intelligent. They're wonderful and they're very introspective and reflective and all the things. And a frequent question was that they logically recognize that they get jealous irrationally and in a way that doesn't serve them or their relationship, but they don't know how to change. Do you have any advice? Baby steps. Um, One of the exercises I believe we recommend in The Ethical Slut is to take a pack of index cards and write down um, some of the jealousy triggers that you are aware of and arrange them from the easiest to the hardest. Um, it may be very easy for you to see your partner holding hands with somebody else, for example. It may be very difficult to imagine them spending the night with someone else while you're home by yourself. So you start with the easy ones. You, you practice with the easy ones, and some of them will turn out to be effortless, and some of them will turn out to be harder than you thought they were. And so with the ones that turn out to be harder, you back up a little bit and try something easier again uh, and just learn the skills. Learn some ways to self-nurture when you're feeling upset, jealous, antagonized at gut level. When you get hit with one of those gut bombs that you didn't think was going to be a problem that turns out to be a problem, learn how to make yourself feel better. Uh, 
for me, it's usually doing physical exercise until the adrenaline is all gone. Mm. That happens to work for me. Dossie likes to go play solitaire or do something else kind of brain dead for a while. Some mm. people like to watch TV or listen to music. We suggest low key, you know, that may not be the time to go watch A Clockwork Orange, uh, but <laughs> it might be a great time to watch, um, oh, The Good Place or some, something else that makes you feel calm and happy. So learn those for yourself. Maybe a hot bubble bath is what makes you feel better. Maybe some time with a video game is what makes you feel better. Again, low key, please go play Mist. Don't play a first person shooter. Um, just bring yourself back down to a tolerable level when you feel that way and start making a mental list or a physical list, if that's the way you roll, of things that will help when you feel upset. I'm still reeling that Jen at W. Hardy seems to know some video game lexicon. <laughs> my, my I was also designer. intrigued. Oh, okay. One, one of my sons is a designer, a game designer. That, oh, so that's where. No wow. way. Oh, you're, you watch out. Oh, I'm so excited. Stay back. Stay back. <laughs> okay. So I am dying to ask you this question, Janet. You were married for 13 years, correct? Yes. And you realized that monogamy no longer appealed to you. Yes. And your marriage ended that same year. Pretty much. Uh, there, there was an intermediate step in there that you're not touching on. Um, when I was in my late 20s, I finally had the epiphany that the what I now recognize as kink fantasies that were occupying a huge amount of my attention um, were, in fact, a thing I could really do if I found other people who wanted to do those things with me, which, you know, these days it's hard to imagine, but I was that naive. I didn't know that there were other people who thought about staying. Then I finally found that out. And my ex, who is, by the way, still a dear friend, we parted well. Um, we tried it together and it just was not his thing. And we didn't have the skill sets we're talking about here to open up a relationship. We didn't know how. There was not a book then that we could have looked at. And so we decided to part ways. Um, we raised our kids with joint physical and legal custody. We stayed friends through the years. Um, it was the way, you know, what, what these days would be called conscious uncoupling. That was what we were doing back then. And then I went into a long-term poly relationship that was very kinky, very poly. And that one lasted roughly the same amount of time. And then, um, in each case, a couple of years between. And then I met Edward, and we got married. Um, and we we just had our 15th wedding anniversary a week or two ago. And that's 17 years together. So it's it's my record holder. That's <laughs> <laughs> the reigning count, champion. <laughs> unless you count Dossie, who has been a very important part, part of my life for a very long time. Mm. Um, you know, we wrote our first book together in 92. So that's getting on for 30 years now that we have been uh, co-creators, co-conspirators, off and on lovers for, for 30 years. So that's really the, the record holder. We've never tried to live together because we would have to kill each other on very short order. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've done Good that, that you both recognize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell people she has this weird belief that you're only supposed to spend money that you actually have which I don't quite understand. And also that you're supposed to pick things Hogwash. up and put them away when you're done using them. It's, it's all very peculiar. And, you know, we, we've spent like long weekends teaching together. And by the end of the weekend, we are ready to go our separate directions. And if we tried to push it into a, a live-in relationship, what would, be, what would we have lost? Mm -hmm. It's the relationship that we need to have. Oh, that's so, very mature. So beautifully put. But I was getting at something when I was yeah. bringing okay. up your past. And that was, so you said you, you'd been having, you know, these fantasies to yourself. I'm, I'm curious to know how you got from realizing that you could do that with other people and ending a 13-year marriage. Like, and I say that because I think a lot of people, there, there's a lot of fear associated with just separating. Did you have a, a child in that? marriage i forget yes two two, two children who are now probably about you guys ages maybe a little older um it was, andy looks young i think she's flattering us <laughs> there's no way your child is older than me okay you don't look it you wear it well thank you um, thank you anyways um i did it the way i'm afraid a lot of people do it was i cheated for a while um 
he was not interested in exploring with me. I was not interested in spending the rest of my life never doing kink again. Um, and I honestly didn't know whether if I scratched the itch, it would go away or if it was going to be an ongoing desire. And so I cheated for long enough to make it clear to myself that it was not going away. Um, and at that point, we called it quits because it was clearly going to be a, an important part of my life. We didn't know how to accommodate that within the confines of the relationship we had. And he couldn't go there with me. If it were happening now, I think we would have wound up in an open relationship. Uh, and I think it would have worked well. We were never, we, it was never a passionate relationship. We were, were and are very good friends uh, very good at co-parenting together. And I think we could have, with the knowledge we have now, we could have held on to that and just met our other needs with other partners. But we didn't know how. And I, I think, you know, with 30 years of hindsight, I think it was probably a good decision. I think both of us grew in ways that the relationship had been constraining us from growing. So I don't think it was a bad choice, but it was a choice we might not have had to make if we'd had more, more knowledge. When you did finally make that choice, was it crystal clear to you? Did you know with a capital K? Kind of, yeah, by that point. Um, I was obsessing. I, I really was. I had been sitting on that desire for so many years. I mean, I can remember having what I now know were kink fantasies back when I was four and five years old. And here I was in my late 20s and early 30s, finally having the, the light bulb over my head saying, this is the thing that people do. And I just was not thinking about anything else. I, I, I was not going to be a functional spouse under those circumstances. And it mm -hmm. was time to go. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's just a very powerful story because I think a lot of people in that situation would, would be like, well, I'll just suppress this. Yeah. Well, I tried. The, I, I, that, I agree <laughs> with you. It's, it's, it's probably... I mean, yeah, because you, you're so... Um, you speak so simply and, and practically and you're so honest and I really appreciate it. But you also... You, I feel like there are many people who could never do what you did. And I it think... Took, it took me nearly, nearly 10 years of marriage to be able to tell him that spanking was an interest of mine. Ooh. Mm. So it's not like I started out this way. This is, yeah. this is practice you're looking at. Do you think, on that note, do you think, and I know this is so common, um, people who get married a little too young. Oh, God, or, yes. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a problem. But people who feel, here's a situation, two very young, inexperienced people who are extremely in love. And someone's pounding the table about marriage, whether it be the man or the woman or the woman or the woman, whatever it is. And the other person's only reservation is that they haven't had enough sexual experience in life. However, their partner has shut that door, at least, you know, for the most part. What do you do in that situation? Is it ever okay to just say no simply because you're too inexperienced, but everything else is in place? Such a good That's question. one option is to just say, no, you know, I'm not ready to go there yet. I need to know more about myself. And I think if, if we had done that at that time, the, end, the ending to that story would have been a happier one. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think that going into a marriage or a, a live-in relationship or whatever with the expectation that it is going to be a lifelong relationship, that's probably not realistic um, a lot of our concepts of marriage and monogamy were formed at a time when lifespans were a lot shorter than they are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, Frank and I got married when we were both in our early 20s. I'm now in my late 60s. He's in his early 70s. No, that's wrong. We're both in our late 60s. Um, it's so true. We, if it's so true. Married. It's like light monogamy is so much easier when you know you're going to be dead at 29 from typhoid fever. Like <laughs> I, every, of course, why not? Fever or any of the things people died of. <laughs> Consumption. Um, or at war. You know, pe people died oh. for a lot of reasons we don't have anymore. And also, until the 20th century, people did not get married with the expectation that they would make each other happy. 
They mm-hmm. got married with the expectation that they would make children who would help them work the farm or they would bring two dynasties together or whatever. Um, our, the expectations we place on man, marriage these days are not what has been the picture of marriage for most of humanity. So we're asking it to carry a very big burden and we're asking them it to carry that burden for 50, 60, 70 years sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just posted to Facebook the other day that if Frank and I had stayed together last week would have been our 45th anniversary. So there you are. Wow. It's you, interesting, the evolution. I'm sorry, were you going to say? No, it's just amazing how when you think about it, she's, I mean, she's not, not only has she had another very long-term relationship since, but a whole other one. Like she's had, you've Yeah, like you've three. really had your fill. I, I, <laughs> I applaud you. Yeah, I think you've done your work. I think you're I think doing. I have to. Yeah. And I, I, the, the one that I'm in now, my, my relationship with Edward is a companionate marriage, which is a term that's come up recently that I find very useful, where mm-hmm. we don't put the expectation of romance or passion on it. What we are are two people who like each other a lot, whose values are very similar, who enjoy the same things. Um, we're both bi, we're both genderqueer, we're both kinky, and we don't act on any of those things, but we have that as common background and values. And it's easy. That's what it is, is it's easy. And I think by the mm-hmm. time you get to be our age, you want easy. If one of us has a mad fling with somebody else, we, we will accommodate that. It hasn't happened in a while. But, you know, it could. It oh, could. It's so delightful. No, she's wonderful. It's so delightful. <laughs> you win. You we win. have a winner, ladies she and gentlemen. She life. <laughs> so I have two more questions. How would you suggest dealing, okay, I'm going to, similarly to Andy, paint a scenario Mm. where there's a couple uh, where one partner wants to be polyamorous and the other isn't comfortable with it or isn't sure or just is more reticent. How do you think that can work, the sort of one-sided nonsense? Yes, I've seen it work. It's not common, but I have seen couples where one is poly and the other is monogamous typically because one of them has a much stronger sex drive than the other or wants Mm -hmm. a particular kind of sex that the other is not interested in. Um, Mm -hmm. That would probably have been pretty close to what Frank and I would have settled on had we stayed together. Um, I don't think he had much interest in other relationships, although he might have developed them later on. Um, Whereas I was the one who was itching to get out and try some new things. So that might've worked fine for us had we known how. And I, I, we, we um, interviewed a couple in each of the editions of The Ethical Sluts. So they've been together for long enough to be in a book that was in 1997. And we checked back in on them in the new edition. And they're still fine. And they're, she's still quite poly and he's still mostly monogamous. And they've raised two kids together. They're making it work for them. So it can work. It is not one of the easier patterns. But there's a lot of tough ways that people do this that work okay for them. So you can't do the work I do and not tell people when someone says it's working for them, I tend to believe them and leave them the hell alone. It's not my business and it, whatever works. Well, if you think about it, monogamy for a lifetime is difficult too. Yeah, yes. I think they're all difficult. I think that what she just described is a, a much easier path than someone just saying, okay, well, I'm going to keep cheating now. That's what I'm going to do. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends how... Or start cheating <laughs> and continue to cheat yeah. for many years. I mean, we, we always, Andy and I always marvel at how exhausting cheating looks, like yeah. that sort of long-term affair. It's like, wow, yeah, wouldn't it be life, just easier to talk about it? It's hard enough to lie about like being sick if you don't want to go into work. Imagine lying for the rest of your life every day. Yeah. It's tough. I, poly people tend to look down on don't ask, don't tell, but I've also seen that work. Um mm-hmm. A friend of mine has been married for, he's older than I and has been married since he was young. Um, and his wife long ago told him that he should go out and satisfy his kink elsewhere. And she should never, ever hear about it. That was her limit. That's, that was her boundary. That's, that's really, that's fascinating. And it actually brings up a question for you. Um, is Do you feel that there's sort of a correlation between extreme jealousy and someone being spurned to cheat? So if if... If, for example, someone is always accusing someone of looking at uh, the opposite sex or spending time with the opposite sex or 
porn or whatever it is, are always accusing them of cheating, so to speak, whether it be figurative or literal. Do you think that um, that spurs some people, spurns them on to cheat? Just the act of being accused of, of, um, of wanting the opposite sex. It's not a thing that I have seen firsthand, but I can see how someone might say, well, shit, if I'm going to be in trouble anyway, I might as well go have some fun and get in trouble in, in a way I enjoy. Um, right. There's some, some sort of warped logic to that, and I wish that that were not the case, and I don't think it's an ideal solution. But I think a lot of us respond to being constrained by having the urge to go do something outside our constraint to, mm -hmm. to bust loose from it. Um, I would say that... that. Yeah, yeah. It, I would say that that is an excellent time to be talking to a poly-friendly therapist because <laughs> that's not, not going to get any better with time. Right. Because oftentimes I see relationships amongst my friends, my girlfriends, guy friends, and people who have called into the show or asked questions mm. where it, to me it seems like what they're doing is they're creating a monster. They're, they're creating something that might not have been there had they not been so accusatory. And as you said, if I'm going to be accused of a crime over and over again, you know what? I might as well commit it. Yeah, I, I, I can't with it, win this game, so I might as well have what fun I can play. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are relationship issues that you're not going to be able to talk out between you. And that strikes me as one of them. You need an, uh, an informed third party to intercede in mm -hmm. that because it's just that I can't see any way that that's going to get better on its own. Okay. Agreed. Final question, Janet. And I, even when I put out stories asking people for questions, people had a lot of questions about jealousy, and then I put out the one about non-monogamy, and even sprinkled in there, there was some judgment. You could sniff <laughs> it from a yeah. mile away. And I think it's safe to say, it's not, it's not shocking to any of us here, that people often think an open relationship is a symptom of underlying commitment issues. <sighs> what do you tell them, Janet? I would ask them for their definition of commitment. Um, what is it that you committed to? Did you commit to stick around? In that case, you're sticking around, aren't you? You're doing the hard work, and it is hard work, of negotiating a different way of being together so that you can fulfill your commitment to stick around. If you committed to monogamy, then, yeah, there's obviously a problem. You made a commitment, and you're not sticking to it, and it's time to sit down and reconsider that commitment. There's a reason why in The Ethical Slut we talk about agreements rather than rules or commitments. Um, agreements have are fluid and flexible. And the way you can tell an agreement isn't working is that you don't feel like you agree to it anymore. And then it's time to sit down and talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think that a desire for more partners means that you have a problem with commitment. I think it means that you need to tease apart what your commitments are and whether any of them need to shift. I love the agreement thing because really, it really does mean that you're in agreement mm -hmm. on your agreement. It's true. And then when you're yeah. not in agreement anymore, then you can revisit. Then it's not an agreement anymore. You have to talk mm -hmm. about it and make a new agreement. The, the, the first time my my middle partner, the one after Frank, and I, uh, the first time he came home saying he thought he might be in love with someone, we were actually checking in twice a day on our agreements for several weeks until we figured out what that meant to us and where we should go with it. And then we needed fewer check-ins and fewer agreements. And eventually, by the time we'd been together for over a decade, what that negotiation looked like was, tell me I don't have anything to worry about. Nope, nothing to worry about. Okay, bye. Because <laughs> we'd gotten that good at it, knowing where what reassurance we needed. Um, but in the beginning, it's time to think about what commitments you can live with in the longer term, and that means making agreements. Yes. On that note, Janet, you were such a wonderful guest. You did not disappoint. No, you oh, did not. Right. <laughs> we had you. high expectations yeah, and, yeah. You met. and here I am fulfilling them well yeah. thank you very much it was fun talking to you guys and let me know when it's going to be on the air yes we absolutely, absolutely. will thank you so thank much you for joining so much. sure thing bye bye now bye bye, bye. <laughs> uh, <sighs>
Oh, man. She's great. I had high hopes, and she, she managed is, to surpass them. She's like on another. She's evolved. She's gone to uh, she really, the she's alien so, world. She's so evolved. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what she is. Yeah. And ahead of her time. So far. Too far. It, she, <laughs> she, she couldn't even, the world couldn't handle her. When you think about how people get about jealousy and non-monogamy and all the things still today, it goes to show how ahead of her time she was. Yeah. She I mean, and her co-op. It just goes to show that if you put out real truth, honest truth, it doesn't matter when it is, you're going to resonate. It's timeless. Yeah. And I mean, obviously her other books where it was like about particular kinks, it yeah, was yeah. just too on the fringe. Yeah. But like honest sort of relatable truth is always going to win. And that's what this is. Their book had such an impact on me at a time in my life where I was jealous. Mm-hmm. And it made me recognize when they talk about just sort of recognizing these things about yourself and what you feel like you're lacking and how that comes out in the form of jealousy. Like how jealousy itself isn't necessarily really a thing. Yeah. It just sort of brings to light your own insecurities. It definitely did that with me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people ask or have been asking since we first touched on jealousy, I think it was like early on, where Mm -hmm. I mentioned that I used to be jealous and that I'm not anymore. I would say this book played a part in that in sort of recognizing that the work that needed to be done was not my partner's work. It was a work on myself. And developing the confidence to know that, let's say my partner did cheat, it was his loss. Like that's, that's on him, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. The, the, the juxtaposition of confidence and jealousy, I think, is in, particularly important yes. to focus on. And I think that confidence, as I tell all my male friends who look at me, they're like, oh, how do I get, you know, how do you get Charlene? You know, aside from the fact that, that I'm, you know, six foot seven and, you know, built like a house. And, <laughs> do people uh, really say that to you? I've, yeah, I've, I feel like people just have to see us together for one minute. Of course. But what I'm saying is confidence. You're like, stop focusing on yeah, that. It's not, <laughs> not important. But I always tell them confidence is the key. It's all about con- confidence is the most attractive trait of man or woman to the it opposite is. sex or the same sex. Everything is confidence. And what is the opposite, in my view, of confidence? Sure, it's insecurity, but pretty close partners with jealousy yeah what is jealousy jealousy is you feeling insecure that something your partner is getting is better than you yes so it's a lack of confidence the absence of confidence Mm. or or a or a fractured confidence yes so instead of allowing an unattractive trait to hurt you in relationships why don't you overcome that fear say you know what i'm not going to let the fear with jealousy is just fear, mm-hmm. insecure fear. Yeah. I'm not going to let that fear beat me, but I'm going to let it be there. And watch how attractive that confidence is, that you can look at your partner and be like, I know you're not going to stray because I'm so good. Or if you do stray, I'm you're lost. Good. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm either going to choose to accept it or not, but I just don't care. Yeah. Oh, I, it was transformative for me. Yeah. Also, interestingly, the relationships in which I was the most jealous, in retrospect, I can say with 100% certainty, I was mo- those were the relationships I was most likely to, be, to cheat in. Oh, yeah. Do you agree with me on that? Wait, so like well, I two- thought you were going to go in a different I thought, Oh, really? So well, you're saying that the relationships where you were the most jealous were the ones you were most likely to cheat in? Yeah, to they, cheat were the, in. they were the relationships that weren't, Airtight, if that makes sense. Right. They were and the ones where I was the one also, I had a wandering eye in those relationships. Mm. I can admit that. We've talked before about how we've both been cheated on and how we both cheated. Right. There have been two relationships I cheated in, and in both of those, I could list out the things I knew I was missing deep down. And instead of just admitting to myself that the relationship probably wasn't for the best, I sought those things elsewhere. And I was more jealous. Yeah. Like I was totally projecting that on them as well. Like if I'm, if they're not sufficient for me or they're not what I want, then I was projecting on that. I must also not be what they want. Wow. That's like, like next level, like (laughs) matrix style (laughs) inception, right? (laughs) 
It's do you think I'm onto something or do you think that's, I'm just talking out of my ass right now? No, I mean, that's really, that's, that's intense. I, I think that what you're touching on is the general idea that jealousy in a relationship shows cracks either in you, the person who's jealous, or the relationship itself. And I don't mean that a little bit of jealousy, as we discussed, isn't a healthy, normal human thing. But if jealousy starts taking a centerpiece in the relationship, there's something wrong with the person who's jealous with themselves, mm-hmm. or there's something wrong with the relationship or both. Yes. I don't believe that hard, je- like real intense jealousy in a relationship ever is a, a Equal, is a point of equilibrium. That that relationship cannot continue like that unless you both are comfortable with being unhappy for the rest of your lives. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because she did say there's no such thing as like wrong, like which is very open-minded and accepting. I mean, she's so open-minded. Of course she would say that. But I have to admit the relationship where both parties are just like, yeah, this is how we are. We're both going to be super jealous all the time. That sounds really exhausting. It's exhausting and it never wins. It yes. never wins. Jealousy never wins. It doesn't. I know this sounds cheesy. This episode might sound cheesy. Cheesy? But it's true. Jealousy's so important. No, I just mean like jealousy never wins. It kind of sounds like it could be on a t-shirt or something. I could say it in different ways. <laughs> I could say that you, if you're jealous, you're lame and you suck. <laughs> I'm not dissing you, but you know what I mean. It's, it is... I feel like often everything is distilled down to something that is so simple and true and famous mm-hmm. it's to the point of being cliched. And again, because it's true. It's always true. Every cliche is true. <laughs> They've all been proven. That's why they're cliches. That's the takeaway on Dear Shandy. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. If you want to give off an air of confidence to whichever... The sex you are pursuing. <laughs> yes. Don't be jealous. I will say this. The best relationships I've had were the ones in which I was at least jealous. So the ones later in life, obviously, because I had sort of tamed that beast within myself. And I think that those were the ones in which I had the most loyalty, the most uh, security from my partner, even though I was trying to gr- grip it mm-hmm. the least. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Sure. Anyway, we loved her. She was great. It's great. Yeah. Jealous. She's great. Jealousy bad. <laughs> Janet good. Jealousy bad. Yes. <laughs> That's the conclusion of this episode of Dear Shandy. <laughs> Do you have anything yeah. else you want to add? The, the most um, desired fruit is the forbidden fruit. Yeah. And that's part of human nature. And the best way to make that fruit not so desirable is to make it not forbidden. Yeah. And in doing that, you create some air in the relationship. Because yeah. everybody, let's face it, everybody has some curiosity about of having course. sex with other people. Well, and that's the other thing. I feel like having denial about that curiosity is the first mistake. Yeah. Just because you find someone with whom you want to share a life with and engage in a monogamous partnership with doesn't mean that they're never going to find anyone else attractive ever again. That's right. Or not have some affection for an ex they dated for five years. Yeah. Appreciate the human condition and, and, and understand and, and respect the fact that your partner has human needs that are now being completely shut off for life. Yeah. Respect them. And also thank God they have those feelings. Yeah. You'd be dating a robot. A robot. I just think that if you have no kinship towards people who you, who you had relationships with and you don't feel any interest ever, not necessarily interest you're going to act on, but just and if you, don't, you don't look at a beautiful person of either gender and think, oh, that's an attractive person. I would not want to date that person. I agree. That person scares me. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the things I, I love about you. Oh, I think it's cute when you find other people attractive. I honestly do. Because you also do it with men. You're just like, that's a good looking human. Yeah. We both do that. Charlene, actually, you, Charlene. <laughs> you always talk about me I'm like I'm not I'm talking here. <laughs> to, to our people. You often will point out attractive women to oh, me. Oh, especially women. Yeah. I notice attractive women more than I do attractive men. I feel like. I really do. I mean, it's, it's an attractive anything. I point out a pretty tree. 
And for that reason... And when, a pretty dress and a window at a department store. Oh, that's obvious. <laughs> but for, for that reason, when you do, which is not frequently, but once in a while, point out a good-looking man, um, I'm, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. I'd either agree or disagree. I usually sadly agree. I think we both have the same taste in, in good-looking men, which is weird. Yeah. It's probably because I'm your type. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that guy looks like me. It's funny. You've, you, yeah, you've kind of become my exact type. So usually they're like variations on you. So yeah. it ends up being some sort of compliment to you like in the me. end anyway. I'm like, yeah, that guy looks like me. He's good looking. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Sad. Uh, I'm a sad man. <laughs> no, the opposite. No. Oh. All right. Uh, are we going to wrap there? Yeah. I, th- I think we're good. Mm. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Dear Shandy. Hopefully you learned something. Very educational episode. It was educational, but cool. Mm-hmm. Like cool education. Yeah, it was cool school. It wasn't normal educational. Yeah, this is no, cool education. It was not boring. <laughs> she was awesome. Awesome. I, uh, I, I was completely fangirling that entire time. I know. I, I, I was actually impressed with how well you controlled yourself. <laughs> I kept it together. I could I see like, you. Like, really, you're like... <laughs> Uh, For anyone interested, this book has been around for a long time and it is not going out of style anytime soon. The Ethical Slut by Janet W. Hardy and Dossie Easton. Highly recommend. They made a big impact on me in my life at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. If you guys like Dear Shandy, you can show us the love by liking, subscribing, hitting the notification bell, um, leaving comments, uh, following iTunes reviews, iTunes Ratings, lots of stars. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> Is that everything? That's my thing. Well, you, you're reacting like I'm doing a terrible job, but you're not. No, helping I feel at like all. you might have thrown in an extra one that we usually don't do. I don't oh, even. There's a lot of you. Really, you were overwhelmed. It's a lot. But those are just those are all your options. You have so many options for showing dear Shandy love. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye. Yeah.